Hey guys, welcome to another uh, edition of Fanboy Theology. We're glad you could join us. I'm Brett. I'm Chris. Um, today we're talking about one of my favorite stories, which is Lord of the Rings. I mean, the the story itself is just so epic and it creates such a huge world. I mean, that's one of the things that Tolkien, I mean, really did well and everybody admires him for is the fact that he made such a comprehensive world. Rich world. That, I mean, it had its own history. It had, I mean, developed his own languages to fit in this world. It's one of those ones that just blows your mind on how much time and effort was really put into just the creation of this story. Yeah, and that's one of the awesome things about that. And I mean, what we're trying to do here is this the power of story and what it has on us as humans. Of uh, Tolkien was very aware that it works when trying to convey a thought. And I mean, Jesus did that in his teaching as well. He employed stories, parables that are just simply meant to get a point across to somebody. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why God created the Bible the way that he did is that it it relates the story of mankind. And I mean, ultimately it follows that story. Yes, the Bible is above all a narrative and it's a narrative of God's mighty acts of deliverance. And we're even gonna see Tolkien employ some of those themes within The Lord of the Rings. And we're talking about a 40,000 foot view of this entire thing from the Cimmerillion to Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, all that, the prophesied ending of Middle Earth and some of the letters that he would write to correspond with people. We're going to just kind of take a look at all of it and then we'll get deeper into other things at other episodes because we could do 10 million episodes on The Lord of the Rings. Now, before we go any further, I just wanted to be a little bit more comparative against what C.S. Lewis kind of does, and that's uh, being a little bit more obvious in his allegory of Christianity, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, which you kind of you don't have to second guess yourself on what each of the character represent or characters represent or what they're doing, uh, whether it represents a biblical theme or not. They're usually pretty obvious. Tolkien masks his effort, and he goes to great lengths to mask his effort. However, he does emphasize in one of his letters in a correspondence with a, a fan that this is a Catholic work. It, he, he is coming at it from a standpoint of looking at his Catholicism and putting it into a uh, fantasy realm and trying to have certain parallels exist between his own belief and his world that he's creating in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think he's pointing that out for that very reason. I mean, with C.S. Lewis's stuff, Allegory. Lewis made it very, like everything kind of had its exact, well, this represents this and that represents that. Yeah, you're not. That gonna, allegory was so specific. You're not going to walk away going, oh, is Aslan Jesus? Like, Tolkien is, I would almost say, he, he accomplishes his mission a little bit better in the sense of, uh, Jesus himself barely even explained his parables. It was only when people walked up to him and asked him to explain it. If you just took the stories at face value, there's not much of an explanation in there. It's masked. It's a truth masked. That's the power of story. Right. Yeah, exactly. It has that power of you have to really examine it for the truth to come out. And even better with Jesus' parables, it's you have to go to the writer of that parable to get the answer 
there is no other way about it is you're not going to get this until you go and talk to Jesus yourself. That's how it was made anti-Pharisee. And we even see in the creation story of Middle Earth, the use of Melkor, the use of uh, Sauron as embodiments of evil. Um, we don't see a dualism. He was very strong about making sure like, hey, you know what? If the peoples of Middle Earth are going up against Sauron, it's that's uh, an equal treatment like they can take on Sauron because Sauron would not be able to take on Melkor Melkor would not be able to take on Eru Iluvatar who is the mega god if you will in this pantheon and he's the one who started all of creation that's not even the battle we see here Eru Iluvatar could end it all and everything's done but he chooses not to it's it's right. just a battle between well, equals, if you will. I mean, the whole story follows just that kind of way that there are forces that work through the world that aren't overwhelmingly present, but they're there. And you really have to look to see the way that they're working. And I mean, that's that's really the way that God works in our own lives is we don't have the voice all the time telling us, and go forth and... It just doesn't happen. Well, but we don't need it either. We yeah. know what's right. We and the Holy Spirit is here to to guide us in that. But yeah, we don't need an obvious. Here's your next step. Here's right. your here is this. It's no be be a righteous dude. Like let let God work through you. That's it. Right, and I think that's what he does so well in this story is making that comparison. You don't have those those overwhelming go and do this in the story it's it's the little things that happen that he alludes to almost like a fate working its way through the story and, and even on that exact thing i mean there's a sweet awesome conversation happening between aomer and aragorn when they first come across each other and aomer says legends emerge from the very grass the blade that was broken lies as one before me how does a man plan his course with these things happening before him and aragorn just says as he always did. Good and ill remain as they always have. Like These amazing things are happening around Aeom here, and he's questioning, okay, now what do I do that this is happening? It's like Aragorn corrects him. Hey, you know what good is. You know what evil is. Choose good. Start doing good things. Yeah, the blade that is broken is here. Yeah, the Messiah is here, but we know what good is, and we know that we are to live by faith. That's been the lesson all along in the Bible. And one of the things I really admire about the story is the fact that Tolkien kind of goes back and forth between a seen and unseen realm without really like making it overly apparent. There's yeah. just these little glimpses of the other side kind of breaking through. You get it with the river floods and it takes out the the riders and yeah, the elves are very in tune with the other side, if you will. Right. And Elrond does that in the book, but then Arwen does it in the movie. Right. And and with all those things, I mean, it's very similar to the way that we see faith today. We see these little glimpses of the other side, and it's kind of just like that little bit of motivation to continue on. And even Gandalf, my favorite character, and in fact, I'm coming at it from a different perspective of you, in that I had never read the books before I saw Fellowship of the Ring. I just thought it was another blockbuster movie. And so when I come in, and I, I got to be in that perspective of, I thought he died in Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> and so when I'm sitting, and I chose, like, okay, I know the books are there, I'm going to read Fellowship of the Ring, but I'm, I'm going to watch the movie first. 
of two towers when it comes out and then I'll read the books. So I'm the only one in the theater practically who doesn't realize that this white wizard walking around is Gandalf and then the light fades away and I there's only two movies I've ever stood up and cheered in and that was one of them <laughs> at that moment. But uh, Gandalf as a, as a character we, we find out in the books that he's actually on the level with Sauron. He's the same uh, being, uh, Maya. Uh, he almost angelic creatures, but that were sent by the Valar, which is the next level of God, if you will. And they're uh, the five wizards, the Istari, are sent clothed in the guise of men, sound familiar, to then go and oppose Sauron. And Gandalf, the only one who fulfilled his mission. Saruman uh, ends up going the path of Sauron and lusts for the ring and lusts for power. Uh, Radagast gets caught up with the world and its creation and is off focused on that instead of his mission. And I mean, I, I liked The Hobbit and it's my favorite book. So I, I can't, coming to the movie and, and seeing it, it, it wasn't what I was picturing. I was still entertained by it, don't get me wrong. But then I almost think they did an injustice to Radagast's character that he almost doesn't care at all in the books and then here he is actually helping in the war of the ring i get it show another wizard helping a brother out and it was cool i liked it because i like radagast and i love the lore of the istari and the fact that they're a, a glimpse into the the supernatural realm of lord of the rings more so than uh even the elves i love that theme of uh, it, it's more present in the books where gandalf's contemplating what should we do with this ring Gandalf the White, well, Gandalf the Black would be more powerful. And he's, he's almost, he's not struggling with it, but he's going over the strategy of what it would be if a wizard got a hold of this power, could he oppose Sauron? And no, he corrects himself and goes, no, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to rally the peoples of Middle Earth to stand up for their freedom. And that's how I am. I will not be taking the, the tactics of the enemy. But then he He's the guy who would use his staff in the most unlikely of places and in the book uh, use it to take out a bunch of orcs before they get to Balin's tomb. That's awesome. It's little peeks into the supernatural that's the awesome part of this. Is that it's very quote-unquote real in fantasy terms and then we get a little glimpse here and there of the cracks. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's the way that our faith is today because we get to see little glimpses in the way that God works in our lives. It's not an everyday occurrence that, I mean, you look at some fantasy novels where everything is just overtly magic is everywhere and things are exploding and dragons. That's not the story. It, no. it very much reflects the reality of our life. We get little glimpses in to the other side as we follow this journey. And there's other little things where Tolkien's knowledge of the Bible and the themes in the Bible come out of Frodo holding the ring, which the ring obviously a symbol of sin. And uh, his innocence, his purity is what makes him able to carry it for so long. But inevitably, sin will get to you like it did in the fires of Mount Doom and Frodo ends up falling. Right. I mean, Gandalf's uh, belief that Gollum might be redeemed. Awesome. And I mean, that whole theme so reflects what yeah. the Bible teaches. Well, and then the clothed prince of Aragorn wandering the uh, wastes of Middle-earth, and even though he should be sitting on the throne, uh, 
Jesus coming in the clothes of men and not wanting to rule. He, nope, that's not my role. It's not the time. The Father has appointed that time. Uh, the whole presence of Sauron as kind of like the deceiver role. I yes. Mean, very. Well, they even call him the deceiver. Right. I mean, the, the, the story of him tricking the rest of the created world into thinking that they could have a power equal with some of the gods. So I think the the big picture from like the, the 40,000 foot look at, at this story is that it mimics the Bible's story of God working to redeem the rest of the world. Yes. That left by themselves, they are unable to reach that redemption. I mean, you look at like the kingdom of Rohan where they're being manipulated from the inside and everything is is going to that that point of almost no return with the king not being able to recognize the evil that's occurring right around him yes well and then we even see this in the the overarching story of melkor which melkor is sauron's a lieutenant in melkor's army Melkor is at the, at the point of Lord of the Rings, he's chained up, but um, the ring to Sauron, what keeps him alive and part of Middle-earth and in here, because once it's destroyed, Sauron dissipates, he's no longer a player on the field. Um, Melkor, what he did in the creation story, makes Middle-earth a part of himself. And what ends up happening in the prophesied end of Middle-earth, Middle-earth has to come to an end. Because if it's still there, Melkor has a part of himself that still exists and he can return. So there almost needs to be a new Middle-earth, just like we see in the Bible, of a new heaven and a new earth. That's what has to happen to wipe the marring of sin away. The ring being a model of sin, but it's evil is that, is that overarching thing behind there. Right. Well, and you have the different types of evil, too, in the story. You've got the evil of the overt evil, the Melkors, the Saurons. But then you also have the manipulated evil of things that once were good, but, but are now deceived and have turned. And then the more lesser evils of the guys like Wormtongue and um, the thugs that overthrow the Shire and that evil that's not necessarily so overtly it's not an orc but it's still that evil yes and so everybody in middle earth has been affected by this and that's hey all men have sinned and even all of creation has been affected by that sin and that's why when jesus comes back and when he is uh, he is the king then we get to see a whole new heaven earth that is apart from this sin that there won't be the lesser evils. There won't be the the cold calculating evils. There will just be good. And that's what we get to look forward to. And that is what Tolkien sees with his faith and gets to put that on paper of the Lord of the Rings. And that's, that's ultimately what I, I think Tolkien wanted to do with this story is to reflect that. So I would say I hope that you guys are able to look at some other stories and kind of pull out some of the similar themes than that you would take an opportunity to examine some of the stories and see how 
God's truth kind of is reflected in those themes. And we're not saying that this is a perfect representation of the Bible. It's just look at how much the Bible has impacted the world, literature, uh, still, uh, the, the Scarlet Letter, the, the books we've read in high school, all of those, they're, they're not Christian works. Even the movies we watch, they're not Christian works, but you know at some point somebody's going to do something in that story that requires that person to have been impacted by Christianity, whether resurrection, which we see in Gandalf happening uh, in Two Towers, more often than not, at some point when you watch the protagonist make, in a movie, make their ultimate choice to make an internal change, water is involved. It's awesome to even see that. Baptism is obvious when we would see that, but filmmakers know that's ingrained in our psyche, in the zeitgeist of humanity, is we're looking at certain symbols and seeing them in a certain way, well, if we would just take those shadows of things and shine light on them, we're going to see the actual truth, and that's what is explained in the Bible. Yeah, that's exactly what Paul says. We see now but a shadow, but there comes a time when we will see things as they truly are. We hope you guys uh, got that. We have plenty more uh, to talk about for Lord of the Rings, but we're going to end it now just simply for the sake of time. But... uh, let us know. Uh, give us some comments on the blog on what areas you would like us to talk to about on Lord of the Rings or uh, other subjects we've talked about. And uh, we hope you were able to follow along with our pronunciation of it. We know that you, uh, we're going to write them in our blog of what it what it's like in the book. And but we happen to have said it a certain way, and you didn't say it that way. Hopefully, the blog clears that up at fanboytheology.com. Hope you were blessed by what we were talking about, and we'll see you next time. But it's a promise. <laughs>